Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of the Grizzly Bear Blues Live podcast. I am your host, Joe Monax, and I am excited to be joined at this time by my co-host, uh, a full-time co-host on this episode. He's here in the first segment, and he'll be here for the interview with our guest as well. He's a busy man. I'm, I'm excited to get for this episode of GBB Live. Mr. Uh, Paca Flocka himself, Parker Fleming. How are you doing, sir? Joe, I am great. Can't really complain right now. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, it's a new year, new me, so to speak. Uh, and, and that's not true at all. I'm the exact same, the Grizzlies Grinch uh, out there pissing everybody off on, on the internet. So, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job at that. that that's been my niche. That's been my lane, my brand, if you will, for about seven years now. Uh, so I'm just going to keep sticking with it and and uh, see if it keeps working for me. Um and we'll continue that process here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Uh, ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow my co-host, uh, associate editor of grizzlybearblues.com, my right-hand man, so to speak, Fart Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow our blog, grizzlybearblues.com, on the site manager over at GBB. You can follow us at SBN Grizzlies, and you can follow this podcast at GBB Live. Lots of fun things to talk about on this episode. Excited to break it down with Parker. There was a winning streak and then there was a dud on national television. And, you know, are they for real? Are they not? Was it a bad loss in air quotes? That's going to be my main thing I want to talk to Parker as well as our guest on this week's show, uh, Mr. Mike Prada of SB Nation, the mothership, SB Nation NBA. He wrote a great piece about Jaron Jackson Jr., and we'll talk to him about that, among other things. But, Parker, I want to start off with this idea of a bad loss because I saw it being floated on Grizzlies Twitter, over on the blog, grizzlybearblues.com, on the report card that I believe Justin Lewis did. Uh, it was written that it was a bad loss by a couple of the commenters. And you and I texted back and forth about this a little bit earlier on Tuesday I am interested in what your definition of a bad loss is, because to me, as long as they don't quit, which the Memphis Grizzlies didn't do, they lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. They were outplayed by a team that was shooting the leather off the ball. I believe the Pelicans made a team record 21 threes. Anytime somebody makes 21 threes, it's going to be hard to win that basketball game. So, but they didn't quit. They fought back. They got it within, I believe, five almost. uh, And it fell apart from there. JJ Redick hit a, a late dagger to seal it. Uh, from beyond the arc, but they didn't lay down. They didn't quit. I think that they had issues defensively, but they've had those issues throughout the season. To me, it was them kind of regressing back to the mean of what a talented young basketball team does, which is play poorly at times. And yet I've seen people say that was a bad loss. I don't think it was a bad loss because, again, the idea of expectation. If you put postseason expectation, higher level of play expectation on this team, I think people are doomed to be disappointed. And people keep telling me I'm crazy, Parker, but I just don't see that game on Monday as a bad loss. Honestly, I don't either. As far as expectations go, I'm expectation-free for the rest of the season because they've already exceeded my expectations. I didn't think they would be this good in December and January. So they've already exceeded it. Anything else from here? whether it's even if they stay towards their mean or a little bit above it, I will be happy. As long as there isn't any clear regression, I'll be fine. But this isn't a bad loss because while the Grizzlies have been one of the hotter, quote-unquote, rebuilding teams, the Pelicans have have been just as hot. 
I mean, they have just uh, snapped a Utah Jazz's 10-game winning streak just last week. Brandon Ingram is averaging 25-5 and five on 40% three-point shooting. But also, too, they still have Drew Holiday, a top 25, 30 player. They have J.J. Redick, who is one of the all-time great three-point shooters. Lonzo Ball, though he's not what he was acclaimed to be coming out of the draft, he's still a 6'6 point guard, elite playmaking abilities, and the defense decides to bother John Morant in the backcourt. And then, as we saw in the last game, granted, he's not really known by anybody, but New Orleans had a potent stretch five that was able to take advantage of Jonas Valanciunas' evicted role. They're a good team. It's not a bad loss. If you look at it by standings and say, oh, the Grizzlies are higher in the standings than the Pelicans, then, yeah, you're going to think it's a bad loss. But if you look at it in the context of things and look at both teams on paper, you understand that it's not a bad loss. It's not a bad loss because the Memphis Grizzlies are a mediocre at best basketball team right now. And, and people are going to hear that, and they're going to curse my name, Parker. They're going to say that I'm not a fan, that I can't relate because I don't live in the city. There's all sorts of things that as you continue in this line of work, if you do, I'm going to get blasted. But you are what your record says you are. And by God, that's not a bad thing. I I, I feel like I am the bearer of bad news when I'm the one who's been consistent all along. It's been great that they're playing well. As you said, I agree with you completely. It's awesome that they're outplaying the expectations. It's terrific that they've already exceeded what a lot of people had. People are trying to move the goalpost. The season started with a win expectation of about 27 games. They've already won 20. They could go eight and however many games are left in terms of losses, and they could make the over. And that was my definition of a successful season to begin with. So they have already leaps and bounds been better than I expected them to be. But when you take the expectation, because the Western Conference is weaker than it has been in the past, of playoff basketball, and you put it on a group that shouldn't be given that expectation, that is where you start to see the fan base say that Taylor Jenkins had a bad game. You know what? Taylor Jenkins is what, 34 years old? One of the youngest NBA head coaches going against Alvin Gentry, who's been in the league for a very long time and played the mismatches perfectly. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins got out coached. Hell yeah, he did. He should have, to be honest with you, given the experience differential. I, I just really struggle with when people look at this team and they say that they suffer a bad loss or they say that Jonas Valanciunas did this or in a negative way. Of course he's not good on the perimeter. You knew that going in. You knew that. Why are you surprised by it? that? That's the most frustrating thing for me. People keep changing. They, they try to have it both ways. And I'm not talking about you because you've been consistent as well, like me, Parker. There's people that try to say, oh, yeah, there's no expectations. I don't know why anybody would say that there's expectations. And then they say that there's a bad loss. Or they say, like we'll talk about with our GBB Live question of the day, uh, a poll option. And they'll say, no, you can't trade anybody. You got to keep the team together. For what? What are you keeping them together for? You have the expectations of postseason, and that's not fair to this group of players. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, As far as my consistency, I think they're they're outperforming expectations. I do think they are a decent basketball team. Granted, have they been kind of saved by injury? Granted, to teams like the Portland Trailblazers and Golden State Warriors, yeah. 
But they're still a pretty decent basketball team. Taylor Jenkins is a good coach, despite his inexperience. Like he's he's actually way surpassed my expectations, probably more than anybody on in on this roster in this organization. Um, Dylan Brooks has come a long ways at three level score. He looks like somebody you actually want next to John Morant on a good Grizzlies basketball team. And then obviously John Morant, nobody's expected him to be a borderline all star in year one. And then whatever Jaron Jackson's done is absolutely bonkers, turning into a six eleven Clay Thompson. I mean, nobody expected this. So I'm with you. Don't move the goalposts. Honestly, just ride the wave of a surprisingly good, se- a surprisingly good fun season, because as everybody says. The best time to be a fan is right before you're good. That's a great way to look at it, as long as you keep perspective. We're on Grizzly Bear Blues Live here. I'm your host, Joe Mullinax, site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow my co-host, my associate editor over at GBB, Mr. Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka. You mentioned Dylan Brooks, and we'll talk about him here before we get into our next segment with Mike Prada. Like I said, he'll be joining us to talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. He'll touch on the trade deadline and what the Grizzlies should do uh, going into that process. Um, But I want to get your take on Dylan because I tweeted out over the past few days, I don't remember exactly what day, but I tweeted out a poll that got some pretty decent feedback, almost a 1,000 votes, about Dylan Brooks, the idea of a team offering him a four-year, $60 million contract. So roughly that works out to $15 million a year, essentially what Jonas Valanciunas is making, give or take a few bucks. And I asked what the Grizzlies should do. And a lot of folks kind of surprisingly said that you have to match it. I thought that was the peak of his value. But Dylan Brooks continues to score the basketball at a pretty high rate, uh, 30 points or 31 points, I believe against the Pelicans on Martin Luther King Day, he was the only guy that you really could count on in terms of being able to functionally get his own offense or, and excuse me, not be a detriment on the defensive end. Dylan is not an all-world defender by any stretch, but I think it's fair to say he's a net neutral defender on most nights. Some nights he's better, some nights he's worse, but his offensive capability allowed for him to be easily the best player for the Grizzlies in that game, in my opinion. So my question for you is if you faced that contract, a four-year, $60 million contract, would you sign it with Dylan Brooks? Because usually if you're getting paid $15, $16 million, that means that you're a starter in the NBA. And all along, at least I have been operating under the assumption that Dylan would be best as a sixth-man type of player or reserve. Uh, J.J. Redick makes about $13 or $14 million, I think. Uh, I think uh, Schroeder for the Thunder makes about 15 million. So there's precedent for a high level reserve getting paid like that. And obviously as the cap goes up, the mid-level exception I think is around whatever Tyus Jones is making around 9 million or so. It's not crazy to think that Dylan Brooks is going to get paid like that this coming summer. Uh, no, not at all. And this question is, it's tough for me because Joe, you know how much I love Dylan Brooks. You wrote a six part series about the guy. I did. You're right. And to be honest, I'm torn because that is the market level for a guy who's he's averaging 15, three and two right now and shooting almost 40% from three. That's the kind of price you got to pay for a guy that's going to put up that kind of production. But I don't know if I just want to hand out a four year, $60 million contract before you have to extend Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, because what if, 
expectations for trajectories change by then, maybe this is where Dylan plateaus, or you need that one other max level player be next to Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant to make a strong push for a Western Conference Finals or even a Finals appearance in 2022 or 2023, and you're hindered by that four and sixty from Dylan. I'm that's my thing that I'm kind of torn on because I don't I don't want to give out a contract that big, but also too the dude's producing. He I tweeted today over the past nine games since 2020 started. He's averaging 23-2 and two on 45% three-point shooting, and he's shooting eight attempts a game. But I think, surprisingly enough, even though I think he's the best wing scorer the Grizzlies have had since Rudy Gay, I think there's his production you can find elsewhere. And whether that's Jaron Jackson Jr. becoming more of a 20-23 to 23 point scorer, same with John Morant, or you end up getting a guy in the 2021-22 draft that can ultimately become a good perimeter player at that 2-3 and three position. I wouldn't be upset either way. Obviously, I would love Dylan Brooks back just for you know my brand, but also I just really like the way he plays. I like the swagger that he brings. But if he's going to make 4-60, and 60, I, I would still be happy for him even if it's not in a Grizzlies uniform. It comes down to how that money's invested, right? Like you're you're going to obviously pay DeAnthony Melton. I think most folks can agree that that's a guy you need to prioritize. And he may not quite make what Dylan's making, but he'll probably be in the neighborhood. I, I think the Tyus Jones mid-level exception range of cash is is a fine starting point for Melton. Uh, he'll probably even make a little bit more than that. So say he makes ten million on average a year. Now you're you're eating up nine million of that cap space. You're looking at. Do you really want to tie? another 15 or 16 million into Dylan Brooks when you could apply that money to somebody like say a Malik Beasley or a Joe Harris or, you know, somebody who I don't know, maybe brings a little bit more to the table in an all around way. But at the same time, Dylan Brooks is a homegrown guy. You know, he was taken by the Grizzlies. He's that last link to that first bad season where he was asked to be so much more than he was ready to be. And he didn't back down from the challenge. So when Dylan Brooks says crazy things like he's, you know, a piece of the next big three or, you know, he's talking about how he scored 31 and the Grizzlies are still undefeated when he scores 20 or so, cause he scored 30 plus in the game they lost to the Pelicans. I, it's funny in a sense, but it's also, this guy has been overachieving his entire professional and collegiate career. Uh, nobody expected him to be the Pac-12 player of the year or that caliber of player at Oregon, but that's what he was. He earned that honor. Nobody expected him to be doing what he's doing as the 45th pick in the NBA draft in 2017. And look at what he's doing. He is legitimately one of the top 10 or so wings that are going to be in free agency. Now it's a weaker free agent class. But I think a $15 million offer is not off the table at this point, and Memphis is going to have to consider it. It's going to be an interesting question, and it also potentially makes him a dark horse candidate to be traded at the trade deadline. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. That's kind of hot takey given how important he's been. But if somebody like a contender, you know, we talk about the Clippers not being able to afford an Andre Iguodala. You put Dylan Brooks on the Clippers? And as a reserve, like he's going to a title contender as a reserve, that would be an interesting fit. Same thing with the Lakers. So there, there's lots of ways that you can interpret that. And again, I don't think Dylan's going to get traded, but that is a, a very dark horse bottom of the barrel. You know, there's other guys that are much more certain to be moved, but 
a Dylan Brooks trade wouldn't be that crazy for a contender who's trying to, you know, get a cheap piece that they could resign if they're over the cap. It's not that far-fetched, although I do think it's unlikely to happen. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Parker and I are going to be joined by Mike Prada of SB Nation, the mothership SB Nation, SB Nation NBA. He wrote a great piece about Jaron Jackson Jr. We'll talk about the growth of Dylan Brooks. We'll get his take on the contract idea, and we'll also see what he thinks about the Grizzlies heading into the trade deadline. Again, this is Joe and Parker on GBB Live. We'll be back with Mike Prada of SB Nation. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I was supposed to be joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, but he he ditched me, if you can believe it. And and I I have a sneaky suspicion I know why. And I'm going to bring in our guest at this time to help me, you know, kind of be a a detective about it, try to figure out why Parker Fleming had to go. He he claims it was technical difficulties, but I I think Mike Prada is going to be able to to help me get to the bottom of this. For those of you that don't know who Mike Prada is, first off, you're you're doing following the NBA wrong. Uh, he is the senior NBA writer, or a senior NBA writer, I should say, over at SB Nation. Uh, he does a great job for SB Nation NBA, or he has in the past as an editor. Uh, he helped start Bullets Forever, which is the Washington Wizards SB Nation site. Uh, he wrote an awesome piece about Jaron Jackson Jr., but he does a ton of great work. Make sure you're following him at Mike Prada. P-R-A-D-A-S-B-N. If you don't already do so, I'm a big fan of his, and I'm excited to talk to him about the Memphis Grizzlies. But first, we're going to talk a little trash about Parker Fleming. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you know this or not, but I know through previous conversations with you that you started Bullets Forever in 2006. Uh, Let's take a healthy guess as to what Parker Fleming was doing in 2006. I'm going to say he was probably 11 years old in 2006. Well, now I feel old. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was a sophomore in college, uh, so I don't know if that so helped I, or not. Well, See, wait, there you go. See? Freshman? Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I mean, but you know what they say about, you know, Generation Z and sort of being dependable, right? That's exactly right. So, Parker, thanks a lot he for ditching me. He probably us. <laughs> yeah, he probably ghosted is what, us. Is that what the kids say? I feel like I'm I'm like one of those like super old people and I'm 32, so that, that doesn't make me seem good. That doesn't seem good to me. I am definitely not down with it. Uh, whatever it is scares me at this point. So maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm 32 going on 62. Uh, we'll we'll see. But uh, uh, just kidding with uh, Parker. He had technical difficulties, so uh, he will not be joining us in this segment. But I'll be taking us home here with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for your time here. I know you're busy this time of year. Uh, let's start off with Dylan Brooks because in the last segment, that's how we finished up talking about Dylan and his value to the Grizzlies. Uh, in Memphis especially, this is true of all fan bases, but in Memphis in particular, I think we get very in a bubble. Uh, and obviously I cover the team from afar, but I have the Memphis connection. I lived there for several years, whether it's on the, on Twitter or at grizzlybearblues.com, however you consume the Memphis Grizzlies product, I feel like it's very easy to get tunnel vision. And you see Dylan Brooks and you think, oh, wow, this guy can score the basketball really well, but he also compares himself to Dwayne Wade, I think. So we can't figure out what Dylan Brooks is exactly. It's always nice to get guys like you on or people like you who have the national perspective. So I'm curious, as somebody who consumes the NBA at large, what is your perception of Dylan Brooks from afar? I don't think he's going to be as good as Dwayne Wade. 
hot take, I know. I don't think that he's going to be good, as good as him. Um, it's funny, like, I, I totally understand, like, why he's a tricky player to evaluate because I think there is an element of, of him being slightly underqualified for the role that he has sort of bestowed upon himself uh, and the role that has kind of been bestowed upon him um, in a way that, I mean, from a national perspective, it's kind of endearing. Like, I kind of like those sort of players. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of, like, John Starks back in the day where, you know, that he probably shouldn't have been the second best offensive player on a great New York Knicks team, but he kind of was, and it sort of worked, but then it kind of really didn't. And it, it was kind of fun watching, like, sort of that play out. Um, so I totally get it. I, I think I think it's, like, an interesting situation because you have a team that is young, that is definitely growing, and he's young, but he's not quite as young as, like, a Moran or, or Jaron Jackson. He's kind of somewhere – in a slightly different part of his his prime. He's kind of like a bridge leading scorer, but I don't know if he sees himself that way. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And he's also the kind of person that he does have a little bit of bravado. He does have a little bit of this sort of like, kind of, I want to be the guy. I want to be the, the tough guy, the, the voice of the team. And a certain dose of that is really healthy, especially because I think John and Jaron are both sort of more play do they, they, with their play rather than with their mouth and that can be a really good counterbalance but too much of that then it can be a problem so I think I think frankly like my perspective is pretty you guys have a pretty good handle on this one I, I mean I just find him fun I just enjoy watching him play from a neutral perspective but as far as his value of the team I think Memphis uh, Memphis fans are kind of more on the nose than you would give yourself credit for. Like, it is a bit of a tricky situation to work out. One of those, like, it's a good problem to have. It'll be a problem maybe in the future, but we're not trying to worry about it right now. Um, but I think that's still still an interesting dilemma nonetheless. It's fascinating because he's a he's a player who clearly has an inflated view of himself. Like, like again, he literally had an interview where he compared himself, Jaron, and Jaw who Jaron and Ja are probably closer to this than Dylan ever will be, but it's still ridiculous to say they are this now. He, he pretty much insinuated that they could be the next big three, like LeBron James, Chris, Bro- Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. And I'm guessing hey. that and, – and the crazy thing is, it, you don't know if Dylan Brooks sees himself as Dwayne Wade or as LeBron James. Like, it, it could be either <laughs> way. I don't know where he's at with it. Um, but at the same time, you watch them play on Martin Luther King Day against the Pelicans, the first stinker that they've had in a long time. And he's the one guy that you can count on to defend his position at a decent level. And then also obviously score the basketball at a near elite clip, a uh, 31 points against the Pelicans that if it wasn't for Dylan Brooks, that game would have been a lot uglier than it was, which leads me to a question that I asked several days ago on social media. I tweeted this out. Like I said, I think it was Friday or Saturday of this past weekend. A team offers Dylan Brooks, soon to be restricted free agent, a four-year, $60 million contract this summer. That's roughly $15 million per year on average. And, of course, it's ascending in value year to year. Memphis likes to do the descending contracts of late. Uh, but this would be a match in restricted free agency. What do you do if you're Memphis? Do you let him leave or do you match the offer? About 950 people voted. And about two-thirds of those folks, 63%, said that you match the offer. So again, I think that it's realistic that he's going to get that offer because the mid-level exception has obviously increased dramatically in the last few years with the new TV contract and the revenue coming into the league. I think that if you look at Jonas Valanciunas, who's making comparable money, 
the next few seasons in terms of impact on the game. Dylan Brooks is working his way up to being a, a, almost like a wing type of Jonas Valanciunas. And you could argue that Brooks is a better defender than Valanciunas. So I'm curious, do you think it would be crazy for Memphis to match a four year, $60 million contract? I think that the four years scares me more than the 60 million, to be honest with you. Oh, I think they should match that. Yeah. Nope. No question. I mean, that would take, you'd have him through what? Like, this is his age 24 season. So you'd have him through 25 through 29. I think that contract is still pretty tradable, as is. I think it may actually be a feature more than a bug to have it be long because I think he may want a shorter term deal so he can get back on the market again. So if you can get him locked up for four years, I think that actually gives the, the Grizzlies like more tradability. And, you know, It'll be interesting to see sort of how this plays out down the road, but there are, I think, enough indicators that Brooks can play a less central offensive role and that to some degree he's doing it because of a gap that currently exists with the team in terms of offensive shot creation that I don't know will exist down the road. Plus, I, I, you know, one of the big questions is, is, do you have Brooks on the team? Are you blocked the Anthony Melton, who's been really good recently and has this incredible plus minus? Uh, but I think that there's also evidence that if you play Melton and Brooks together, that can be useful too. So I, I think that's a pretty easy match there. And I, I mean, to your point, like, I mean, there's not a lot of money out there. Wings are pretty valuable. I mean, if you're looking at free agent shooting guards, you're talking what Evan Fournier is a free agent. But a guy who's a 24 year old restricted free agent, um, like Brooks is, I would think that somebody would want to pay more than that. I mean, if you're like Atlanta and you don't really believe in Cam Reddish and, and he doesn't really kind of continue to emerge, why wouldn't you offer 20 million a year to Dylan Brooks on a, mar- on a contract like that he would slot in pretty nicely especially if you're playing DeAndre Hunter at the four so I think it's actually quite realistic that he gets more and you know once you get to the point where it's like Malcolm Brogdon money I think then you have to start to wonder if it really makes sense to match but for 15 million a year I think that's still a pretty tradable contract you know at the worst would happen and I don't think the Grizzlies are in a position where they can lose assets for nothing I will say this, Mike, and you may not know this about me, but folks that have followed me for a while will know this to be true. Just about anybody is worth more than Cam Reddish. I can't stand Cam <laughs> Reddish. Well, and it's ra- it's gotten to the point of being that. irrational, Mike. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, the question is whether the Hawks believe that. Not right. you, but yeah. Right. No, I well, you said Cam Reddish and it triggered me. So folks that have been around me for a while will they probably heard Cam Reddish and said, Oh, Joe's gonna freak out. Uh thankfully he's not a Memphis Grizzly. I had nightmares that he was gonna wind up in Memphis, and thankfully they wound up with the second overall pick, and we have John Morant instead, uh, which is which is always good. We're talking with Mike Prada of SBNation.com. He's from the mothership. Uh, excited to have him on the show. Been following his work for a long time. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Mike Prada. That's P-R-A-D-A-S-B-N. Before we move on from Dylan Brooks, I have one more thing that I floated in the first segment, and it sounded kind of conspiracy theorist when I said it out loud. But the more I think about it, I think, and credit to Matt Hardlicka, who I think wrote about it a while ago. Uh, Matt Hardlicka does a great Patreon page on the Grizzlies. He used to write for us at GBB. Um, 
he floated the idea of tagging Dylan Brooks on any deal or even individually trading him. You know, obviously everybody talks about Andre Iguodala. Dylan Brooks makes $1.62 million, I think. So if you are the Clippers, if you're the Lakers, if you're somebody who has assets, who's a contender, and you want a wing who on a championship team, you mentioned Dylan Brooks maybe seeing himself as higher up than he is. And I think that's part of what makes him good. But if you take him and you trade him to a place like the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, insert championship contender here, and he becomes an 18 to 20 minutes a night reserve for that team, then I think you can talk yourself into him staying there long-term in that role. What makes me nervous about him in Memphis long-term is he's been the starter for a while. If the Grizzlies somehow acquire somebody who theoretically is better than Dylan Brooks at the two and Dylan slots to the reserve spot, I don't know if he's going to be as willing to do that in Memphis. So I think I'm talking myself into Dylan Brooks as a dark horse trade deadline candidate and that's extremely hot takey i don't think that's actually going to happen but it it makes sense in terms of if a contender wanted to acquire a guy who can score off the bench like a bizarro lou williams type uh dylan brooks kind of makes sense Uh, don't you think that it would be more useful as, as a trade piece to have him on a bigger salary and that way you can move him for something that is of more present value because at his low number, yeah, you'd have to attach him to somebody. And right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's really, I mean, like what is the outside utility of that? I mean, I just don't really see what it could be. And to your, to the question of like whether he would accept a lesser role. I mean, one of the solutions to that problem ultimately will probably come when Jake, when Jay Crowder ages out of that small forward position and they're going to upgrade that spot. And then I kind of think the problem might solve itself. Like, this is not a situation where you're, you're there, you can play a lot of different wing players at the same time. He is proven to be a really good spot up shooter this year. He's shooting, what, 40% from three now, almost 30, over 39%. At a you very know, high volume. At a very high volume, which is really important. I mean, really, the question, I guess, really comes down to all those sort of off the dribble, like, kind of, he rumps, pick and roll, tries to, put his defender in jail and shoots like this kind of contested leg kicking out 17 footer shots that he takes that probably drive Grizzlies fans crazy. Are those mm-hmm. a product of the way Brooks sees himself or are those a product of Morant being a rookie and more of a creator and pick and roll for others than himself and not having another sort of option just to, I mean, to, to use your Bucks analogy, not having a Chris Middleton level type of player playing the three that can create his own shot—that's really the question. Like, if you down the road get that type of player, like then you get theoretically all the good qualities of Brooks on the court without some of the bad. So I, I think this is a little bit of putting the car before the horse to trade him now. And I also don't know if like those teams that are contending would want to have a player like him at this point who is still young and trying to prove himself. You know, I think that's a big ask. I think they may, they would may want to look for someone who's more experienced or even someone that has actually proven in the playoffs before you look at Denver and Malik Beasley, who is on the trade market. I mean, Beasley proved it in the playoffs last year. If you're looking for a young short-term rental kind of player, I think I would look his direction before I would look Brooks's if I'm a team like, Milwaukee, a team like the Lakers. So, I mean, I just, it's an interesting idea, but I just think it's like a little bit too soon to worry about these sorts of things. 
Well, I'm very good at that. Uh, that that's a strength of mine <laughs> in in Memphis Grizzlies blogger them. I, I enjoy setting fires and running away, and then playing the part of the arsonist fireman, where I start the blaze and then I try to put it out. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of my brand at this point, Mike. We're talking with Mike Prada of SB Nation. Uh, he wrote an amazing piece. I'm a really big fan of his writing in general, but you know there was a day I think it was after the Houston win when. There were two SB Nation pieces about the Memphis Grizzlies uh, in one day. It blew my mind. I was very excited by it. Uh, and, and this yeah. was one of them. It was Jaron Jackson Jr. is what the NBA unicorn was always supposed to be. And I loved that headline and I loved the article. One, because I like your writing. And two, because I've been saying the same thing. And I don't expect you to read everybody's team site and all that. But the term unicorn gets thrown around a lot. You know, and everybody's a unicorn, and that kind of defeats the purpose of the term unicorn. Jaron Jackson yeah. Jr. is very much that. Like, he is literally doing things that have never been done in the NBA, especially when it comes to volume shooting, like we talked about with Dylan Brooks, uh, and blocked shots. He's really showing when, he, especially during the Grizzlies' recent seven game winning streak, when he is on on both ends of the floor, he's essentially an almost seven foot tall Clay Thompson. And and that should be horrifying to everybody in the NBA, right? Yeah, I think to your point about the unicorn, at some point it kind of evolved. And maybe it was always meant to be this way. If you look at like kind of the, the original Kevin Durant quote about Porzingis back in the day, at some point it sort of evolved from like describing something that is rare, like what Serge Ibaka used to be, is sort of like this rare combination of skills, into just saying like these guys are like the best players in the league. Right. And I, I think it's kind of – I, I, when I say when when we use the, when I use the term unicorn, it, it literally just means someone who has an uncommon skill set in a way that is sort of makes it easy or like makes a lot of other ways of building the team possible. The thing is, I think we would all agree, like especially I mean, you look at the way he played against New Orleans, where I think he was really ineffective. You know, he really struggled with the way the Pelicans were switching all those screens, making him post up, had trouble staying in front of guards. He's not close to a finished product yet. He's got a lot of things he's got to work on, particularly, you know, his ability, his fouling and uh, the way he kind of goes for fakes. But there's something about the idea of having a, and like you said, he is a volume accurate three-point shooter. Like, it, it's funny listening to opposing broadcasts. Like, you can basically play a drinking game out of how many times they say his shot looks like his shot put you hear it all the time like oh unconventional release but i mean he he jacks he takes a lot of shots and he makes a lot of shots and he makes a lot of different kinds of threes so that alone is really enticing then you add in the defensive potential and i think there's a lot more room to mine with his ball handling and with his post scoring down the road I mean, it, it, it circles back a little bit to this Dylan Brooks discussion. Like, there are many more avenues you can open up as far as how you build your team and the flexibility that allows when you have a player like Jackson who kind of does unconventional things for his position, and he does even now. So in that sense, I think he's just I – mean, it's funny you say that we had two Grizzly pieces that day. Like, I, I kind of been targeting Jackson as a possible topic, you know, for a while for that for that Wednesday like it didn't really have much to do with the Houston game but then I think sure you have you know I have mm -hmm. no I mean you seriously I mean hey look <laughs> at some of the things I've written um you know I I, I had been like you can ask you have 
like I just find him. I just find. I know it seems hard to believe that, like we watch Wizards games, but yeah, we do. They're an interesting team, and I think he's an interesting player for like kind of that larger idea of like what does it actually mean to be a unicorn in a league that's somehow overrun by unicorns. Like that was sort of an interesting idea for me, but I guess Vito was so. Um, who wrote the John Moran piece was so inspired by the way John Moran played that we he just wanted to do that that day as well. Um, but yeah, I think he just sort of opens up some interesting avenues for team building, and I just think his player type is really interesting. There's a lot of potential, and I think the potential the P word is really key here because I don't think he's at that level yet, and I think it might take a while. But I mean, you already look at like one of the things that you say people say a lot about this Grizzlies team is that they've got a good blend of young of kids and veterans. And I think one of the underrated reasons for that is that you can play Jonas Valanciunas at the five with Jackson at the four. You can play Jay Crowder. You can also swing them up. They sort of slot nicely into like defined roles. And a lot of it is because of the versatility that Jackson provides. And I think that's going to become increasingly valuable as they build their team out in the future. And it's also going to be important as he develops his strength and his size enough so that he, you don't want to lose his lateral movement. The fact he has such great switchability on the guards and wings is extremely important. Uh, you're exactly right. They abused that. The Pelicans did a little bit uh, in the Martin Luther King Jr. game. And, and it was smart of them to do so because Jaron is inexperienced and is not a finished product. But when Memphis made their run there at the end, I believe the five on the floor were Ja Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. and I, was a lot Jackson of people, on the floor? I thought I thought he sat for a while. I he did, but I think that. towards the end, because uh, I know Mer, I know Valanchunas didn't play very much uh, there towards the mm-hmm. end. So, um, I, I think that when you look at the Grizzlies' future, uh, that's probably those five, maybe not in those specific roles, uh, especially with the wings. I do think Memphis is going to try to upgrade there uh, one way or another. Um, but I, I, I'm really excited about Jaron and Ja because I don't know how much, again, you, you watch the Grizzlies and it's impossible to follow all 30 teams closely. Uh, Jason Wexler. I can tell you how many Grizzlies games I've watched. Oh, uh, you better be on it. Uh, yeah, I got a Google sheet. Let me just pull it up. Oh, boy. And by the way, start, start to finish. I don't. Uh, start to no, finish. Like, I got into, like, uh, like, people got, people, I got into a little tip with some Pelicans fans today. Over I'm going to. I'm going to say you've watched 10 Grizzlies games. Uh, 14. Start 14. Okay. All yeah. right. So I would still be in it if I was playing prices right. I didn't take the over, so that's good. Um, 14. And uh, so, yeah, no, of course we watched them. Um, you know, obviously they played how many games now? Probably like 40, 41. So you've watched more than me, but. That's you know. still pretty good. I mean, considering you, you watched the entire league essentially. Uh, but anyway, I was. Jason Wexler is the guy who runs the organization. Zach Kleiman is the GM, pseudo-GM. That's not his official title, but Jason Wexler is the Grizzlies president, and he runs the marketing system like she's been doing forever. Uh, And they they market the Grizzlies as Grizz Next Gen, and it spells G and G, grit and grind. You know, it's very clever in a way. Um, And I think that the way that John Morant has fallen into their laps, because they chose – Jaron Jackson Jr. Chris Wallace technically did, but the Grizzlies front office chose Jaron Jackson Jr. It wasn't popular at the time, uh, but Jaron has shown value in that spot for sure. Uh, and John Morant fell into their laps thanks to the luck of the 2019 NBA draft lottery. Uh, my favorite thing about those two in particular 
is it's a modernized version. And I say modernized, it sounds dumb to say that because it was, you know, eight years ago, but it's the next step in the evolution of the game in a modern sense compared to Mike and Mark, who were my two favorite players. And, you know, Zach and TA obviously are part of that as well. But for my money, Mark and Mike were the two best pure basketball players on both ends of the floor uh, in terms of creation off the dribble, creation through passing like Mark was able to do. You know, the two-man game that those two guys did, that was my favorite part of grit and grind outside of a Zebo ISO on the block when everybody started cheering and you could feel the anticipation watching Randolph work somebody in the post. Um, and, and you see the beginnings of that and you talk about it in your piece it's different because obviously you have a lot more pick and pop from the beginning with Jaron. You have an electric athleticism with jaw, but I really like how they're connecting. And it's like I said, it's, they kind of lucked into it, but I really like how the game is truly evolving for the Grizzlies. And it's easy to say that offensively, but even within the schemes, if you watch every game or the games that you've seen, you see the flashes of what was the past and just how they're progressing it naturally given the the talent that is now assembled i think that's really neat yeah i mean it, it, there is some certainly some synergy there i think to if in terms of the modern jump this is like sort of a middle-aged person getting their first iphone like <laughs> right. it's kind of technically the same thing but like it's such a big jump into the future that it's like kind of this quantum leap um but i, I think there is i mean when they were at their best, I think Conley and Gasol sort of had this telepathy and this ability to sort of invert the two-man game or to sort of run these pick screening angles at very different spots. I mean, you saw this really brief glimpse of this in the uh, in, on that great highlight where he throws the job throws the behind-the-back pass to Jaron uh, in the Houston game. You know, that was a delayed roll on an empty side off other action, and you see like sort of those moments where you know they're there's no way that Conley and Gasol would have finished quite like that, but there are some elements to it (laughs) that I can see. I mean, one of the things that's sort of interesting to think about, and and this is like, what if, what if Gasol was a three point shooter from the very beginning? What would that have meant to the Conley Gasol two man game? Would it have looked a little bit more like what we're seeing with John Jaron? You know, it's a really interesting question. Um, So I kind of see the, the, some similarities i know it sounds kind of weird to compare the two but i mean conley and gasol were sort of all craft and maybe john and jaron will be all craft down the road i mean it's definitely not like that now um there are some glimpses of that um and it's sort of gonna be interesting i mean the nice the interesting flexibility thing with jaron too is that you don't have to use them that way i mean you can use them as a spacer um and maybe that's better for the long run so there is like kind of this in terms of sort of the flexibility that the two main game provides down the road, I think there is some, there are some similarities, but you know, there, it's definitely a very different quality than Mark. It's an Mike. evolution. It's an evolution to be sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited for jaw and Jaron because you, you touched on it very well there. So much of what Mark and Mike did was relationship driven was, understanding chemistry wise where the other guy was going to be it was the craft like you said very well there uh jaron and jaw don't have that yet because they haven't been together that long they're both 20 years old that's what i think has grizzlies fans most excited is there's so much room for growth and development and maybe that's why they're uh putting the cart before the horse so to speak when it comes to uh the grizzlies current run of success we're finishing up here with mike prada make sure you're following him on twitter if you don't already do so 
at Mike Prada SBN. He writes for SB Nation about the NBA, does a great job. Make sure you're checking out his piece on Jaron Jackson Jr. Again, it is titled, Jaron Jackson Jr. is what the NBA unicorn was always supposed to be. Uh, it came out last week, but it's well worth going back and checking out. He does a great in-depth breakdown of everything involving Jaron's game. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this. Our question of the day, which I tweet out every week over at GBB Live, whenever we record a podcast, I should say, because every once in a while I feel froggy and I get a couple of podcasts out. But whenever a show goes live or is about to go live, I tweet out a question and I talk to our guests about it. And the question today, as the trade deadline, as we record, is about two weeks away. Which currently active Grizzlies roster member, and currently active is important because Andre Iguodala almost certainly will be traded, uh, even if it's for Courtney Lee and a second-round pick, I think it's fairly fairly likely they're going to move him to get something. Uh, but which currently active Grizzlies roster member is most likely to be traded by the trade deadline? The four options were Solomon Hill, expiring contract, who has really done a good job revitalizing his NBA career. Uh, to start the season, he essentially was here because he wasn't Chandler Parsons, who, by the way, uh, shout out to Chandler. Hopefully he's able to recover terrible news on his uh, car accident he had. Uh, but before – before that terrible accident happened, just being honest, Chandler Parson was one big contract. Solomon Hill and Miles Plumley were two moderately sized contract contracts, excuse me. The Hawks and the Grizzlies helped each other out essentially. And Memphis decided that Hill was better than Plumley for what they wanted to do. And that's why Solomon Hill was here. Uh, but I think he has earned himself maybe on a veterans minimum, but I think he's going to stick around in the NBA. He's gone from a guy that was hellaciously overpaid and may not be in the league. Uh, to someone who I think will stick because he's of his run in Memphis. He's kind of reintroduced himself to what made him good to earn that extreme overpay to begin with. Uh, but he was a good basketball player when he earned that contract, uh, and he's shown some signs of life with the Grizzlies. Uh, so Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder, who is a part of the Mike Conley trade, of course, and has kind of taken on the de facto leader role as a veteran uh, for these young Grizzlies. Kyle Anderson, who obviously... I said Dylan Brooks is a dark horse candidate, and I agree with you. That's extremely unlikely for all the reasons that you outlined. Uh, but Kyle Anderson is someone who doesn't necessarily fit with what Taylor Jenkins is doing in terms of the pace and space. When you hear slow-mo as a nickname and you're not a good <laughs> three-point shooter, pace and space probably isn't your ideal style. Uh, and he was signed by the last group uh, front office-wise, so maybe he would fit somewhere on a contender. So he might be the true dark horse at this trade deadline. He's he. There's some nights he only has seven or eight minutes that he plays, if at all. And then finally, I said none keep them together. And I put this in there as a trap because I'm trying to trap all the people that want the Grizzlies to make the playoffs while also saying they have no expectations for the season because they are hypocrites. Uh, the Okay. Me, oh, interesting. Because yeah, I would have said none. I also would have said none. Ah, uh, Mike! No, Mike! I just... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, because they need to make the playoffs. I'm just sort of okay. struggling to see what – I mean, what is the upside for – like? I mean, are any of the guys you talked about going to get a first-round pick? I mean, if you can get a first-round pick for any of these guys, yeah, trade them. But, like, what does it really – what good does it really do to trade Jake Crowder for another contract in the second-round pick or another second-round pick? I just – I don't really see the point. I Dylan don't really Brooks see was what the 45th overall pick. Yeah, I mean, but I think that there's more value that Crowder could provide to, as adding structure around the starting five for some of the young kids than like one second round pick would provide. 
for and and dead money, especially because I, I think of his unique role. I think I mean, I'm not sure what Solomon Hill would bring you back, if anything. Um, so I, I would not. Obviously, I wouldn't be like trying to like make a big win now move either. I, I don't really, unless there's sort of a player who has a bloated salary that you can kind of take on for beyond this. But I, I don't. We fetish we fetishize Tracy's so much, and I just don't really see why the Grizzlies need to be looking to do looking actively to make a trade just for the sake of making a trade. Like I, I mean, the, the mix kind of works as is. I don't think there's anyone here that's really blocking anyone in terms of playing time. Like, there's not a young player who's not getting enough minutes because someone's in front of him on this team, right? I mean, now that Melton is in the rotation, um, yeah, they have a, I, they I have a number me. of second round picks coming. I, I, I just, I mean, sure. You, would you trade? Would you trade Jake Crowder for a seven million dollar dead weight and a second round pick? I just don't really see. I think there's this sort of you win the trade, but you sort of lose the war with something like that. Now, for the first round pick, I think it changes. You would, I think you would definitely make that trade. But for less than that, I think it's a very, unless it's a really high second round, I guess. I think it's a classic win the trade, lose the war sort of situation that a lot of these teams and a lot of us fans get trapped into this time of year. Like I just don't really see what what significant purpose it serves. Um, to really make a trade like that at this point. Like you may want to resign him too. You might be useful for a while. I I just don't, I, I don't know. Like, again, it's out the window if they can get a first round pick for any of these guys, but I'm just not really sure. I see what the point is. Well, I said Solomon Hill because I think Solomon Hill is the one most likely to get traded for the reasons that you mostly just outlined in terms of Jay Crowder being that veteran rock, so to speak. I think that you could take on like a Felicio from Chicago. I think they would probably pay you a second round pick to take that second year of, uh, and essentially you're paying, you know, a little less than $8 million for a second round pick, but money for Memphis doesn't really matter at this point. And if Felicio is able to eat minutes at some point when Valanciunas gets hurt or something like that, or if Valanciunas gets hurt, uh, I think that there's value there. They don't really have a center on the roster beyond Valanciunas. So I think that would be, a reason to do it. I think that's possible. Um, the reason I would trade Jay Crowder and Jay Crowder was the one who won the poll, by the way, thanks to the 250 folks who voted 59.3% of people said that Crowder was the most likely Grizzlies player to be traded. I would trade Jay Crowder for money, as you alluded to, and a second round pick because I don't think Jay Crowder is very good. Uh, he's essentially shooting like what Kyle Anderson is shooting from three right now. He was 30 for 120 uh, over the last 20 games. So that includes the seven-game winning streak that the Grizzlies were on. It wasn't because of Jay Crowder. Uh, he was shooting 25% over those 20 games, and that was before the terrible game that he and Hill both put together. I think they were two for 18 overall shooting. So I, I guess to my point, we talked about Kyle Anderson being somebody who's kind of at the bottom of the rotation right now, if you're going to have somebody in the rotation who, I mean, Kyle Anderson's 26, he's on his second contract. I don't think he he counts as a true young player. If you're going to have somebody there, that's not going to be your true shooter that at least can create, can defend multiple positions, essentially gives you what Crowder is giving you right now anyway, and is a little bit better facilitator, at least to me, Anderson is, I would rather Anderson have those minutes than Jay Crowder. So I will disagree with you in saying that I think Jay Crowder is blocking Kyle Anderson. 
And that to me is an issue because I prefer Anderson. Now, if you prefer Crowder or if you value Crowder's veteran presence, as others do, you're not alone in that take, by the way. Uh, I think there's folks that will listen to this and, and say, yes, testify, uh, Mike. Um, I, so I, I mean, my concern would be <laughs> I think he's blocking Kyle Anderson, and that is not ideal to me because Anderson's younger, Anderson's under contract. I think Anderson gives you the same kind of stuff that Crowder's giving you. If your argument is Crowder is a three-point shooter, this season he's not. Now, is it possible he gets hot and he progresses to the mean, so to speak? He's a career 33% three-point shooter. I think he's you know right around 30 right now, maybe a little bit below after Monday's game. Um, yeah, that's possible. But to me, if you can get a second rounder, another asset to add to a future trade, or if for some reason Dallas wants to give up, you know, and and I'd have to look up the exact numbers. And even if he's healthy, to be honest with you, because I haven't looked at the Mavericks roster, but like a Justin Jackson, for example, somebody like that. Uh, if for whatever reason they wanted to do that kind of a deal, I think that's something that you explore, even if it's somebody lesser than that, because it just adds to what should be asset season for the Grizzlies to begin with. Yeah, Justin Jackson is good. I would make that trade. I like Justin Jackson. Um, they could just play Jay Crowder less. They don't That's have true, to. too. There's no rule that says. They, no, they no, also... you're right. It's not like Jay Crowder's <laughs> Dylan Brooks going back to the start of this conversation. Yeah, I mean, like, you, I, I, I don't know. Block Blocking Kyle Anderson is not a particularly compelling reason to trade somebody for me. Now, maybe if you say blocking the – we want to look at what happens when we play Melvin and Brooks together more – and Jay Crowder is blocking that, like, okay, then maybe, like, hmm, okay, maybe uh, I could consider that. But, you know, I mean, like, Justin Jackson's a decent asset. Like, of course you would trade Jay Crowder for Justin Jackson. I'm just sort of skeptical if that's really what's out there, really, like, what's the kind of thing that, like, is worth going nuts and pursuing. I mean, I just don't think there's really much of a purpose ultimately to that. Now, what would be interesting like, here's the, the other way to look at it, too, is I remember that the Grizzlies have to give Boston a draft pick this year. Sure. So so weakening the team in the short term does in- weaken- weakening your team in the short term does carry the risk of you having to give that pick up. And it's very important, I think, for the Grizzlies to convey that. So... The, yeah. uh, the the other interesting thing that you could do though, and they are sort of set up to do this, and is what if you make a trade that's actually a win now trade in a sense, not to make the playoffs this year, but to convert the expiring money you have into more of a long term contributor. Now I don't know who that player is or if that player is available. Probably isn't, but that would make a little more sense, I think, than just sort of pawning off your expiring contracts for extra second round picks. Yeah, I think that's definitely an option. Uh, it sounds like you don't like Kyle Anderson very much. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, you, uh, if you also want to, also if you want to play more, just play him at the four. Like, why do you have to remove Jay Crowder from the yeah. occasion? No, I hear you. Like, I, I, I don't know. There, there's not like this like huge glut of. I, I just don't really see this huge glut of prospects that are like is. I mean, like, do you, are you like really looking to give Grace Allen more minutes? Like, I just, I, I think they're they've got a kind of a nice balance right now. I wouldn't really care to disrupt it. And I mean, if Kyle Anderson was 22, maybe I'd feel differently. But he's 26. Like, we know who he is at this point for the most part. I don't think there's like more playing time that's going to reveal something new about what Kyle Anderson is going to be. 
Sure, I just think he's better than Jay Crowder, but I, I maybe that's where we uh, we can agree to disagree. And and I th- it sounds like I don't think both... Jay Crowder's that good. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's no, I'm of, with you. Just let um, it be. Like they just don't yeah. have to resign him this summer. <laughs> right, that's true too. Um, I, I guess my my final takeaway about this Grizzlies team is, and you you mentioned it there. You know, if you think trading Jay Crowder isn't necessarily worth it. Uh, because of the lack of assets, but I mean, you you honestly think moving Jay Crowder would make them fall into the top six of the lottery? No, I mean, I, I I'm just saying it could it slightly increase the chances, and that you know the downside risk of that is quite severe. That's all. I mean, I I don't think I don't think that like single move would make this huge difference, but I also don't really see the point in weakening the team in the short term when that's sort of looming, like it, especially with the way the odds are flattened. Like that could potentially be a significant difference. Like you, these days now, with the way the lottery odds are flattened, you probably need to be really close to the playoffs to really guarantee to give yourself this amazing chance of not having not jumping into the top six. It's sort of a weird inversion of the incentive structure for Memphis, this unique situation. But you know, I just I, I, I mean, generally, I guess my my takeaway here is like. If there's like a trade that can get you something a little better than the sec- like a second round pick, then sure. But like if not, I don't really see the point in making a trade. Just make a trade. All right, fair enough. An interesting take. I, I like it, making me think here. Plus, uh, you're probably going to get something for Andre Godella. So like, if the right. issue is like you're not going to get any assets, I mean, you would think you would. So. Like, I, I definitely think they're going to prioritize that. And if, if a Jay Crowder trade or a Solomon Hill trade falls into their lap that they like, they'll do. But I would be surprised if Andre Iguodala and Josh Jackson included are still on the roster, whether it's Jackson being waived for a two-for-one trade or whatever the structure might be. Uh, we're out of time here, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Make sure you're following Mike on Twitter at Mike Prada, SBN. Uh, awesome stuff over there for SB Nation. I appreciate you, and we'll have to have you on down the road. Thanks for having me, Joe. All right. So for Mike, I'm Joe Molinax, the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. For my co-host, Parker, who joined me in the first segment, everybody, thank you so much for making us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies. Send them grind forth, Grizz Nation. Until next time, this is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. <laughs>